Namaste and welcome to Radio Eka. Eka is a yoga and meditation app from India and our focus is to help you learn the various yogic tools such as pranayam, yoga nidra, meditations, chanting and asana. The purpose of this podcast is to understand more about these practices and delve deeper into the history, the philosophy and the science of yoga. If you want to try the app, you can download it from the iOS or the Android stores and also use the code RADIO to get one week free access to the app. Namaskar, my name is Shruti Deora and I'm the co-host of this podcast by Radio Eka. In this final episode of the COVID Wellbeing series, today we'll talk about healing from grief and trauma. Today, we have the pleasure of speaking with Dr. Bill Mahoney, who is a professor of religious studies at Davidson College, North Carolina, United States. Bill has a deep understanding of yogic life, grounded in five decades of his own spiritual practice. He travels nationally and internationally to lead retreats and workshops on yoga philosophy and practice, and has written numerous books and articles on the spiritual traditions of India, including The Artful Universe, An Introduction to the Vedic Religious Imagination, and Exquisite Love, Reflections on the Spiritual Life based on Narad's Bhakti Sutra. A hearty welcome, Bill, and thank you so much for speaking with us today. Thank you. Thank you, Shruti. Um, And warm greetings to you and warm greetings to all of our listeners. It's good to be here. Thank you. Great. So as uh, Bill, as parts of the world are slowly coming out of COVID, uh, we are thinking about how to get some closure really to move on. Uh, Millions of people have lost a loved one or have suffered over the last year. And this has happened across the world, um, you know, starting with Europe, US, and now more recently in the deadly second wave in India. So we'd like to talk about how as an individual and a family or as a society, we can heal from this collective trauma. How do you suggest people should heal from deep grief that they have experienced? Perhaps we could begin by uh, thinking, rather than recover from grief, we can think of recover from within grief. And and the reason I say that is that um, grief is, uh, is a form of love. And um, we would not grieve if we did not love. And love is is always a good thing. And so uh, when we grieve, we are, of course, remembering a cherished one um, and um, longing for missing that the cherished one or ones. and uh, and this is a this is a fundamental a fundamentally important part of being human. Um, so one thing I'd say, and perhaps I'd come back to it uh, a little bit later, is that um, I think one way to to recover within grief is to practice a yogic virtue of what's known as satya, truthfulness. And um, it's usually translated as truthfulness, but I, I would like to suggest that uh, that uh, that yogic virtue is is one of of being real, of being authentic, and 
grief is real. It, it is an authentic and true and deep and very important, valuable human expression of the heart, um, and particularly of the of the heart that is uh, sad and longing. Kurd shoka. It's known as the the, the heart the, the heart ache is is part of being human, and and so I I think part of it, as I said, is to be true to that. Um, uh, to be authentic, uh, not to repress or to suppress one's feelings of grief, but rather to experience them and to and to be true to them. Um, I think also one way that we, as as human beings, <laughs> uh, can work with grief is to is to in some way connect with what we regard to be sacred in some way. People will have different ideas and definitions of what is sacred, but I think uh, in some way to connect with what is sacred, uh, both inwardly and outwardly, so that, uh, for example, um, one connection would, with the sacred would be to pray, to, to pray for the departed ones, um, to pray for the community, to pray for one's family, to pray for oneself, the, the power of, of that wish and hope and intention and remembrance can be very healing um, in, a, in a kind of focused way. Um, outwardly, we can, we can perform rituals. The Indian tradition is, is, is very rich with uh, ritual. Um, and rituals are very important because they allow us to express inward feelings and states and emotions outwardly and to share them with others and and to make the connection with others and and with family so so we can perform important um, rituals as well i wish uh, that that our various cultures would have have more opportunities for public rituals and what i mean by that is uh, the larger culture getting together to acknowledge the loss of of uh, loved ones, and um, I'm not sure how to do that, but in some way, to as a community remember uh, uh, our loved ones. Uh, I think one way to help recover from within uh, traumas of of all sorts and and grief is to uh, particularly grief. Um, is to send best wishes and uh, and to send best wishes not only to the departed one or to those who are suffering um, today you know in the world um, but to to send best wishes to the world itself and and I'm reminded here of the the shanti patas you know you, you know these the, the the verses of peace that uh, sometimes uh, prayers end with the repetition of the word shanti three times, shanti, 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 peace, peace, peace. And I've thought about that, and I wonder, you know, why three times? And, uh, and I find that in the yoga tradition, uh, some of the commentaries on, in the, on the yoga tradition, classical commentaries, um, describe the universe itself as consisting of three kind of components. There's what's known as the Adi realm, 
the adibatika realm and the adhyatmika realm. You, you're aware of this, okay? So that so that the uh, adhidaivika realm is the is the, the the realm that seems to be well, the physical world to be one thing, but also the world that seems to be um, beyond our comprehension. It's, it's hard to really understand how it works. Mysterious world in a way. Um, and I think this, this could be the, the uh, well, well, let me just say, in each one of these three worlds, well, let me continue, the, the Adi Bautica world is the, the world of society, the, the world of, of creatures, of fellow, fellow beings. And then the Adiyatmaka realm is the inner world. The, the, uh, all right. Now, the yoga tradition holds that each one of these worlds has its beauties and its splendors and its mysteries. And each one of these worlds has the possibility of dukkha, of sorrow and suffering. Uh, so I, I think of the Adidaivaka realm as a, a realm perhaps of catastrophes, perhaps, you know, floods and, and volcanoes and forest fires and that sort of thing, and also perhaps viruses, pandemics. Okay. Mm. Um, I think of the Adibatika realm as the human, the, the realm of human community and society and, and the sorrow that, uh, that, that people kind of inflict on each other through one group oppressing another and that sort of thing. Um, and then the Adiyatmaka level, the, the inner level is, uh, is the, fear and the anxiety and and sadness and and grief that we experience inwardly and so when we say shanti three times perhaps we're saying may there be peace in all three worlds mm. and i think as we as we pray for peace in all three worlds that itself can be a form of inward and outward healing that's beautiful and in fact uh, it's interesting that you bring up the Shanti part. That was really my favorite mantra growing up and mm -hmm. even still today. Mm -hmm. I think it's just beautiful. It really, um, uh, you know, to pray for the peace around you and for the universe. I think it's it's a beautiful thought. Uh, yeah, so thank, thank you. Thank yeah, you. thank you. Thank you. So um, now let's move on again to a little bit on the yoga side. So we've often heard Samatvam Yoga Uchyate. So that's equanimity is yoga. So would you please talk to us about how yogic practices help us achieve equanimity in times like these? So do the yoga sutras make this connection uh, from asana or meditation practice to our capacity for dealing with trauma and grief? Um, the, the, the short answer is not explicitly. If you go to the yoga sutras, it, it does not mention grief uh, specifically right but it does okay. mention dukkha and uh and and ways to deal and what is dukkha suffering and sorrow um but if i could come back to that in just a minute the the phrase samatvam yoga uchite uh, yoga is equanimity or equanimity is yoga comes from the bhagavad gita and that's that's its source and you, you i'm sure you know that and the um the context of that phrase is the um, equanimity is described as a state of an inner state in which one performs one's actions in the world and performs one's responsibilities uh, in engagement with the world responsibly um, because it's the right thing to do without a personal attachment to the end of it. It's um, 
um, uh, the renunciation of the fruits of the action, that, that is said to bring an inner equanimity. Samatvam yoga uchite, okay? Now, to, to your, your question about the yoga sutras specifically, okay? Um, as I said, it does, so the yoga sutras do not mention grief, but they do mention dukkha and, um, and sorrow. Um, and they they are oriented toward and the entire text is is oriented toward the the calming of the repetitive disturbances of the mind, which which we can think of as a kind of grief or or grief is a is is a, a mind that is is not calm. you say and, and I'm not judging it. I'm just kind of describing it, right? No, many times our thoughts are a source of grief. Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, um, and uh, and so the Yoga Sutras say, well, well, this this grief or or any other vritti, the the Sanskrit word here is vritti. That's the the turning of the mind, as it were, uh, is is uh, attained or gained through through practices, through through yoga, and in. Uh, uh, in fact, the, the, the Yoga Sutra defines yoga itself, the yoga's chitravitti narodaha. Yoga is the calming of these fluctuations of the mind. Um, and then uh, the whole text itself is oriented toward, well, how do you do that? Uh, and, and one of the sutras, uh, at, out of um, 194 of them, says, dhyanaheyastadvrtaya, which means uh, meditation. Meditation is one way to, to to calm the the pain and sorrow of grief. Um, and another one says Vishoka uh, Vajyotismati, which means um, th this calm, clear mind can be attained by attending to an inner light that is free of sorrow. So there is a there is a remembrance of the possibility of of um, uh, what of, of acceptance, of letting go, uh, of, of, without forgetting. I remember we we I, I want to stress we do not forget, but we 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 practice what's known as aparigraha. There's a kind of letting go, a kind of not clinging, uh, and by not clinging, one is free from grasping and the and the freedom from grasping brings a kind of healing uh, mm. kind of a calmness right got it that's that's beautiful so uh while talking a little bit more about healing um how does healing manifest physiologically so what happens let's say in our physical and emotional bodies when we undergo trauma or grief and then later when we come out of it one way to think about this out of many, many possibilities, uh, the relationship between uh, body and, and emotion, body and spirit. One way to think about this uh, comes from the uh, Vedantic tradition of yoga. Um, it goes back as early as, when, as the Upanishads, you know, these texts. Um, and uh, for example, the Taitariya Upanishad, uh, uh, in speaking about embodiment, what is it to be in a, a body, um, identifies five components of one's embodiment. 
and let me just mention those very briefly, at the very center, the very core of each of our being, the very heart of our being is said to be an, an unconditional joy, uh, a, a joy that seeks to express itself. It's known as ananda. Um, to go like this because th this joy likes to express itself and and as it as this ananda um expresses itself it it it, it becomes increasingly manifest or or increasingly um solid if you will and uh, increasingly embodied so as it expands the, it becomes first and it takes the form of an inherent wisdom it's known as vinyana um, each, each one of us within us has an inherent wisdom. And as the ananda spreads through this layer of, of vinyana, of wisdom, it then takes the form of our thoughts and uh, concepts and preconcepts, preconceptions. It takes the form of our judgments and our prejudgments, our prejudices and, and our emotions. It solidifies into various ways of thinking, all right? And then as this ananda continues to spread, it takes the form of what's known as prana, you know, this word of, of breath, of energy, life energy. And then as it continues to form, it then becomes, it, it solidifies in what's known as the ana maya purusha, the person made of food, which is a reference to the physical body, right? So if you, if you can picture that, our embodiment consists of physical body, breath, emotions, and thought, wisdom, and joy, right? Um, now, trauma, uh, uh, when, oh, before I say that, each one of these five layers can serve as either a gateway for ananda to spread or as a barrier to ananda, okay? Either way. Mm. Uh, trauma, all kinds of trauma, uh, is 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 a barrier. It, it, it stops the, uh, the expansion of ananda, right? So the, when, when the physical body is injured, uh, there's a trauma there and, and it blocks the ananda. And as we know, we, we, we feel pain and sorrow and, and unhappiness. <laughs> okay. Um, uh, but, and that physical body is pervaded by the pranamaya purusha, the person made of breath. So, so it affects the way we breathe and, and, um, and, and, and well, the way we breathe. And, the, and, the, and then that affects our kind of living energy. And then that affects our state of mind. You see, they're all kind of within each other. All um, interconnected. Yes. All interconnected. Yeah. Interconnectivity is very important. And that, uh, and then the mind that is injured, if you will, uh, and uh, sometimes the yoga world talks about samskara, which is a kind of an imprint on the mind that that comes from trauma, as it, excuse me, trauma, to use other words, that can even affect our vinyana, our understanding, um, and and we we see ourselves in the world in a way that is conditioned by the trauma. And, and when that happens, then the ananda uh, is very difficult for it to shine through, okay? So yoga, I mean, here's, here's kind of the way I, I would almost uh, describe yoga itself. Yoga is the aligning of all five of those bodies. 
the physical body with the breath, the breath with the mind and the emotions, the mind with, the, with inherent wisdom, and wisdom with an inherent joy. Yoga is the aligning of all of those so that Ananda can spread. Otherwise, it gets stuck. Right? And asana, of course, is a physical practice. You see, it's, it's the use of, of the physical body. Uh, pranayama is, is the use of the breath. Do you see that? And then, and then the various uh, uh, virtues of ahimsa, aparigra, of, of not wishing harm of not clinging, of truthfulness, all that. These are ways to deal with the mind-body, you see, yeah, so that yeah. it, is, it can be clear of, um, of these traumas and therefore let Ananda spread. That's beautiful. Okay. It's, uh, every, every time I hear a new concept in yoga, it amazes me how sim- it's how s- very simple, but it all comes together in a very profound way. Isn't it so amazing? What, it is really mind-boggling. That's wonderful. Thank you. There is so um, much there. There is so much there. So, so much. <laughs> it's a lifetime of study. Yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. So, uh, so the thing is that people in India uh, it tend to surrender, um, you know, the timing of death to mm-hmm. something called fate or destiny, mm-hmm. or sometimes just on account of their accumulated karmas. Mm-hmm. But in a pandemic where millions of people seem to be untimely affected, mm-hmm. I feel that these you know, notions are uh, conventional notions break down. So mm-hmm. how should people reconcile with this grim reality that has unfolded over the last many months? Another key question, I mean, just fundamentally important question. And I agree with you. I, I think that traditional understandings of karma and, uh, and the moment of death and, and well, karma in general, um, they, they and I, I can't remember exactly how you said it, but they, they fall a little bit short, don't they? They don't quite explain. They don't, it, it, it's hard to to fit in current experience with with traditional philosophy. So, so one possibility is just don't try. I mean that that uh, that the events are are powerfully incomprehensible in some ways, and and part of the grieving process is to be true to that, to acknowledge that. That's satya again. Now that said, and and uh, uh, and, and oh, one more point. I myself find it a little bit difficult to say that that everybody who suffers from the disease has the same karma. You see, and, and to me, yeah. that's a little bit difficult to. Okay, but that said, and I don't think that's true to the Indian tradition. I think the the inter- Indian tradition, particularly the yogic tradition, tends to stress individual karma rather than group karma. Um, so we might just note that, and. Uh, uh, Knowing that, perhaps we can extrapolate into uh, how we might think of as a as a kind of a group experience, right? So, so the uh, the Indian tradition recognizes different types of karma. Um, one is known as sanchitta karma, one is known as prarabdha karma, and one is known as agami karma. Um, technical words, if if your uh, listeners are not familiar with them, I'll, I'll translate these. The um, um, Sanchitta karma is the 
it's the vast, um, almost immeasurable pool of all past experiences all over the world, everything. Um, uh, everything, uh, I, I mean, if you think about the history of the universe, there's been a lot of action of activity that is, that is behind this present moment that has led up mm -hmm. to this present moment, you see, and that's, that's Sanchita Karma, right? And I think we could say, we could, we could extrapolate, we could say that all of us are experiencing uh, Sanchita Karma because we are all living in the world. And, um, and as because we are all living in the world, we all share an immensely long history, complicated, uh, starting with the Big Bang, if you will. Okay. Now, um, a second form of karma is known as prarabdha karma, which is, which is the way that that sanchitta karma, that that vast pool of of past actions, has uh, influenced th this life now. And again, the the uh, the Indian tradition tends to focus on individual life rather than communal life. All right. Right. So, but out of all of that vast life, what is it that has led to your experience right in this life? And what is it that has led to my experience right in this life? Okay, that's that's prarabdha karma, right? And I think maybe um, uh, behind your question and, and, and between the lines of the question is, are we are we kind of confusing prarabdha karma with sanchitta karma? And or confusing isn't quite the right word, but but um, um, I would I would tend I, I would encourage people to think of the prarabdha karma as um, their their lives, their their particular lives, and, uh, and unique and valuable and inherently worthy lives, each life, each individual life, okay? And that this uh, prarabdha karma, the, the living at this moment in time, with all that's going on in the world, with all of the interactions of communities and animals and, and you know, all of that, that's sanchitta karma. You see, so that, so that individual people have this prarabdha karma that draws on the same sanchitta karma. And that's what makes it look like we're all, uh, each one of our karmas is the same, you see, when it's not. Okay, maybe that's long, a long way of saying, I would encourage each of us to, to remember the uniqueness of each person and to remember the uniqueness, particularly of those we grieve, um, that their life was their life, and and uh, and not to kind of say, well, it was part of this this uh, immense impersonal pandemic. Do you think to to mourn their death and uh, and and to honor it? Okay. Now a third uh, a third uh, type of karma. And, and I would hold to be very, very important and relevant here is the agami karma, which means the, the karma that is being established in our actions right now. What, what we are doing now will have an effect in the future. This, this law of cause and effect, you know, that's what karma is. What we do now is helping determine the future. Okay, so, so we can respond 
to the situation. We can respond to the pandemic. We can respond to all of the dukkha in the world, and we can respond to it in ways that bring less dukkha, that, that soothes the, the herd shoka, the, 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 the grief of the heart, the sadness of the heart. You see, that we can all dedicate ourselves to, to being in the world in a way that brings less suffering. That, and that would be agami karma. Mm, that's that's and, great. I think everyone, each one of us needs to find our own path of service and our own, you know, our own ways of serving yes. um, this world. Yeah, yeah, good. Yeah. yeah. Good. Um, okay, moving on to uh, living in the present moment. So mm -hmm. with this pandemic, we have come face to face with the fragility of our life, you know, in a way that we really don't think about or do not encounter in our daily lives. So we have heard about the value of living in the moment. Uh, this pandemic seems to have really make us realize that truth like never before. So what practices would you recommend to our listeners so that they can make living in the present moment a natural way of life? Good question again. Um, and the, the first thing that comes to my mind, the first response that come to, comes to my mind is, is uh, return to the breath. Um, it, uh, I, I find that the awareness of the breath is the most immediate access to the present moment. And it is poignant uh, because those who have suffered from this particular virus have often been affected by the breath. So we need to remember that and be attentive to that. Um, but, uh, but we ourselves, uh, those who are not suffering from the, from the virus, can, can cultivate an awareness of the breath. And, um, and, and here, we can do so according to um, uh, classical, traditional kind of pranayama techniques that we get from the Yoga Sutra um, that tend to be techniques of, of holding the breath and stopping the breath. And, and that potentially talks about it in that way. I would encourage us and your listeners, I mean, if you ask me, okay, to think of it in another way, to, to be mindful of the breath in the sense of to be mindful of the movements of the breath, the, to be mindful of the, of the actual movements of the inhalation and the exhalation, to hold the mind in the breath and to notice the movement and then um, and to notice the, the living energy and the refreshment that the breath brings, the, the way the breath refreshes the body and cleanses the body to be aware of that you see that that's a way of being right here in the moment as one is uh attending to the breath uh one also realizes that all living beings breathe and so that as we breathe we we bring in we bring in clouds and and air and and uh other, uh, we bring in the universe, you see, and then as we exhale, we share ourselves with it, so we can be attentive to that, to that dynamic flow of receiving and giving, and um, and being part of the universe, as you said earlier. Everything's connected and, and interconnected. So, attention to the breath is one way to be right here in this moment, right? And then as we uh, cultivate and refine and deepen our awareness of the breath. We can become, we can cultivate awareness of the body, um, uh, the whole body, and and what is happening in the body, 
What are sensations? What are what is posture? Uh, what is the movement of the body? And uh, whether it's uh, uh, comforts and discomforts. You see, uh, as one becomes aware of the body, the way one is aware of the breath, then one is living right in this moment, right now. The more one does that, the more one is in the moment. And then as we cultivate awareness of the breath and the body, we can also cultivate a similar uh, awareness of our relationships with others. And, and what is happening right now in our relationship to, with others and with the world. And, um, and so it's, it's a question of mindfulness, of, of, of cultivating, deepening, refining, clarifying mindfulness itself. I think it's a, a fundamentally helpful practice. Mm. I think you uh, put it very beautifully. Actually, my personal experience has also been that the moment you start with yourself, uh, you know, going through asana and meditation practice and bringing awareness to your breath and your body, your relationships and your other actions automatically transform. Yes. Right? I think that shift starts, emanates from within, and then, uh, you know, it, it uh, emanates outside. So yes. Yes. I think uh, that's, that really helps. And, and it, gets, uh, it gets back to your point about the interconnectivity. You know, all things are connected. Yeah, good. Right. And, a, and a very yogic uh, t teaching is you, know, you start here. You, mm -hmm. you start with yourself and, and start with your breath and your body and your mind, and then it extends to the world. Yeah. Yes, that, that makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. So um, I think uh, we are almost towards the end of our conversation, but before we uh, let you go, I just want to have one quick last question. Um, do you have any parting message for families who have lost their loved ones in the pandemic? Our hearts go out to all the families where you know parents have lost their children or kids have lost their parents. So any parting message for them? Um. We remember them. We hold them. We hold all of you in our hearts. Yes, and and um, again, I think I've heard Shoka the, the the sorrow of the heart. You know, and I, I shared uh, heard Shoka the, the sorrow of the heart with with each of all of you. Um, and I I remember a a line a verse from the Bhagavad Gita that that your listeners may well know. Um, it means a lot to me. I find it very um, supportive. Uh, and it, it would sound somewhat like this. Nainam chindanti shastrani, nainam dahati pavaka, na chainam kleda yantyapaho, na shoshata yimata. I'm sorry, I stumbled there a little bit, but we can translate this as uh, th this is in reference to to the the true self to the self uh, to, that that is does not perish with dehanta with the end of the body right? uh, the true self the, the self that we love the self that we remember and the self that we cherish um, the bhagavad bhagavad gita says swords cannot pierce it nor fire burn it water cannot wet it nor the winds wither it 
It's a beautiful line, I think. And 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 as I hear that and and want to share it with those who are in sorrow, may you remember that the love you share with your departed loved one is eternal and does not go away. And may you be nourished by that love, knowing that you too are similarly loved. Beautiful. Okay. Um, that is definitely one of my favorite shlokas from Bhagavad Gita as well. So yeah. thank you for sharing that. Um, yeah, so I think, uh, thank you again so much, Bill, for your time. Uh, really appreciate um, your time and your wisdom. And we hope that our conversation today will help our listeners um, come out so. of the grief or trauma they might have experienced. And we really hope this world can heal soon. Om Shanti, Shanti. Om Shanti, Shanti, Shanti. Thank you so much. Thank you, Shruti. Um,